Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Welcome everyone. So glad you could join us today. So we're starting uh, July with a new book. We're going to be using Pam Grout's book, E-Cubed. Some of you might remember that... uh, uh, I'm trying to remember. I think it was year before last we used her first book, E Squared. Everyone enjoyed it because it was that playful approach to spirituality. Her intention is to really allow you to prove it to yourself that spiritual principles work. And so today we're going to embark upon the first of those principles. And in your homework, I'll give you the ability to prove to yourself one of these uh, spiritual principles that we're going to be covering. So we're definitely going to have some fun for that. She starts out, though, in an unusual way. She mentions a movie from the late 90s. I hesitate just to assume that everyone has seen the Matrix movies. So so let me give you the, the briefest intro to that. Gosh, how can you summarize a trilogy in about two sentences? Well, let's just say a young guy who's disillusioned with the world is uh, introduced to some folks that tell him it's all a dream, that in fact he's living inside a computer illustration of the world and that nothing that he believes is actually true. As you can imagine, he's distraught. He's wondering, gosh, is this real? Which is real? And so in a, in a sort of famous scene, Lawrence Fishburne, who's playing one of the main characters, offers him the red pill and the blue pill. And if he takes the blue pill... He'll simply wake up the next morning and not remember any of this conversation. It'll just be back to life as usual, back to his sort of uncomfortable planned life. But if he takes the red pill, true reality will be revealed. And so uh, without being overly dramatic, or at least any more dramatic, I'd like to suggest that this month I'm going to be offering you the red pill And I'll be offering you the chance to see the world in a different light. Now, for those of you who did see the movie, you'll remember that the red pill didn't actually usher in, shall we say, a, a life of ease and grace. And here it's a uniformly good news. Pam Grout says that there's two things you can count on in this new revealed reality. That if you do take the red pill, you can look forward specifically to two things. One is that this is an energetic world, that it is the energy of our consciousness that is creative. So we're not, uh, we're not reacting to the negativity around us. We're, we're not having to, to have a life dictated by poverty or lack. Instead, it is our consciousness that drives everything. It is the, the energy of our own hearts and, and our own souls that is moving forward in the universe. The second point that she makes, which is my favorite, is that everyone gets a happy ending that this is a universe that's safe, this is a universe that's loving, that it's a God that's supportive, that if we go into it with the right frame of mind, if we go into it from that place of the heart, if we go into it knowing that our consciousness is truly creative, then each of us, each of us can have a happy ending. Well, I want to start today, as I often do, with a joke. So little Johnny kept asking his parents for alone time with the new baby. 
I need some private time with her, he would say. Well, because Johnny was a somewhat mischievous boy, his parents were a little reluctant. Would Johnny pinch the baby or tease her or worse? Was Johnny jealous of the little girl? Please, said Johnny, it's important that we're alone. Finally, the parents gave in but conceived of a plan to listen in at the door. They would be ready at the slightest indication of anything going wrong. So they let Johnny into the nursery and they listened intently. Johnny approached the crib, leaned over the baby. Finally, he whispered, tell me about God. Tell me about everything. I'm starting to forget. And so Pam Grout's thesis statement is that we have forgotten. We have forgotten our true nature. We've forgotten the quality of God in our lives. We've forgotten our own ability to find joy and peace in the present moment. We've surrendered our souls to the idea of, of competition, of there not being enough. We've, we've been too well indoctrinated into the idea that life is short and tough and that we're apt to not do well in it. We've, in a way, been carefully taught by the advertising media, by our, our parents, by our, our schoolmates, by our teachers, by society in general, that this is a hazardous place to live, full of obstacles. Pam Grout, in one place in the book, says what we've been trained to think is that life is a struggle and the reward at the end is just death. Well, the truth is different than that. But I believe that where we need to start this month is, is actually undoing a few of our current beliefs. It's, in a way, it's retraining ourselves or, or untraining ourselves into the ways of thinking that are a little different, a little, if you will, more childlike, more, more naive, like more back to the basics of, of how we were born in that, in that original state of naivete, yes, but also that original state of grace, that original state of, of trusting in our environment around us, trusting in our, in our own perceptions uh, uh, of what's going on and not necessarily listening to the doom and gloom of the world. And so today I do want to cover uh, some of that early programming that perhaps has got us thinking that the world is dangerous, perhaps thinking that we're going to just struggle and become victimized. I, I want to get at some of those early thoughts so that next week, hopefully we can start with a cleaner slate. So the first of these important well, she really calls them false beliefs. The first of these important false beliefs is that the world is essentially hostile. And it's something that we learn from a very early age, don't we? That, that strangers are, are to be feared, that uh, the people who live next door are probably unlike us. We've, we've learned that the people we might encounter in the world are more apt to be dangerous than helpful. We've learned that uh, so many of the rules and things set up are to keep us down or to keep us small. And this is one of the key ones that she said we need to put aside. And instead, go with the idea that spirit itself, the universe itself, 
primarily is here to help us. Primarily here to respond to our thinking, to respond to our heart, to respond to what we believe. And if we believe the world is good, the world will respond that way. If we believe that people are loving, by and large, that will be the response. That, that in fact, it's only our fear of things, it's only our fear of the world that will, that will tend to provoke that reaction. So here she says, let's go with the worldview that this is a safe and loving place. Now, now, don't get me wrong. There may be people out there that have a difference of opinion, right? We've all run into some of the folks that may not see it that way. But, but in our hearts, if we understand that the world is, is largely for us, that will be the response that the world will bring to us. If largely we understand that it's love that's going to come back, that it's equity that's going to come back, if largely we believe that the world is safe and honoring, that will largely be our experience. Now, I'm not at all saying that we don't need to uh, keep ourselves safe, right? You probably noticed I was wearing my face mask as I got up to the podium today, right? We owe it to each other to play fairly, to be safe, to do what's necessary to keep ourselves safe and whole. But that doesn't have to interfere with the overall sureness that the universe is ultimately on our side. The second false belief that she wants to dispel is that the universe happens to us, that somehow we're simply a victim of what goes on in the world. And that I think we're familiar with well enough that we think things happen to us and we just have to suffer through it. Instead, she would like to suggest that the world happens through us, that in fact, it's our own perception, it's our own uh, thinking, it's our own consciousness that acts as a cause out in the world. And so that when our causation, when our thinking, when our uh, thought processes and emotional processes are positive in alignment with good, they will tend to attract that instead. So these two, you can tell, kind of work together. If we believe the world is a safe place and we have a mental equivalent, that, uh, that consciousness of safety and love, this is like the, the recipe for success, for love, for joy in the world, and it's the natural state. It isn't something even that we have to work hard at if we simply allow our mind to focus on the goodness and the joy that is life itself. Okay, number three. The third false belief, she says, is that we're just separate from God, that there's God out there somewhere. And typically, right, don't the world's religions tend to portray it as some gentleman on the sky up there kind of looking down, checking out who's been naughty and meeting out the appropriate punishment, right? Just a very separate notion of God as kind of a judge or kind of a controlling agency, a puppet master, perhaps. Well, she says, instead, if we put that aside and really see that God is omnipresent, that it is in and through and as everything on the planet, including us, then we have a very different picture. We're not, we're not praying to some outside agency for help. There is no outside agency. The help 
is right here and available in ourselves, in our own lives, and in the people around us. That's where we can be assured that spirit is present because spirit is everywhere. And that, that love of God, that power of God, that joy of God is always with us because it is us and it permeates the atmosphere around us. And it's one of the reasons why with some confidence we can say the universe is for us because the universe itself is spirit. Why wouldn't spirit always be for us? The fourth of the things that we need to uh, work on, she says, the fourth false belief is somehow we've gotten it into our heads that we're here to judge. (laughs) Now, uh, I don't want to ever suggest that I would be judgmental, of course, right? But have you thought about it? It's almost like we're programmed to say this is good and this is bad. This is harmful. This is helpful. This is black and this is white. And we we tend to not only notice the differences, but we're always categorizing them, aren't we? As beneficial or not beneficial. Not just different flavors, not just different opinions. Anyone who's ever cohabitated with anyone, right? Is like, no, the dishwasher needs to be loaded this way. This is the correct way, (laughs) right? It's like the silliest little things, which if you really think about them, are pure preference somehow Somehow, in our humanness, we've gotten it into our minds that we need to judge the goodness or badness of things. Not just that it's different, not just that it's a a preference or the way things look or the way things show up, but that actually we we imagine ourselves kind of standing up on the pedestal and saying, not that, (laughs) but this, not that. Well, of course, that is not our job on the planet. And I think this is so beautiful. Instead of our job as judge, our job is creator. Our job is to create a world and a life that is good for us and good for the planet. Not to judge the efforts of others, but rather to focus in on our own divine creativity. So I I do want to review these four false beliefs one more time, and then, then we'll get into today's science experiment, and I think we'll have some fun with that. So the four false beliefs are that the world is hostile. And instead, I just got to tell you, this one, you got to trust me. If we go with the attitude and the belief that the world is safe and the world actually has our back, we will discover that more often than not, that will be true. The second false belief is the world just happens to me. And instead, if we go with the idea that we have a power of creation in the world, again, that world will respond in like terms. So rather than viewing myself as a a victim of circumstances, I begin seeing that the circumstances are those that I create through my thoughts, through my beliefs, through my consciousness. I begin taking ownership of even the bad things that I've created. There's, there's kind of the bad news story, right? I look at the mess sometimes that I've created for myself, but instead of a victim, I can look right at it and say, yeah, I made this. I had a part in this. The third false belief is that I'm separate from, from spirit. I'm separate from the power. I'm separate from love. When we begin thinking of ourselves as actually and literally embedded in spirit, 
that Spirit is working through our affairs always, then we'll have that sense of connection. We'll have that sense of uh, something greater than ourselves being on our side and working for us. And then finally, (laughs) if at all you tend towards judgment, know that that's natural, but it's not true. And it doesn't have to be true. The next time you hear yourself making some kind of a pronouncement, right? You're just so messy. This house needs to be cleaned up. That's the right way. Take a deep breath (laughs) and tell yourself, my job isn't to judge. My job is to create. And if I want to create a space that's uncluttered, if I want to create the dishwasher laid out in just a certain way, I can create that for myself, right? I don't have to bring anyone else down. I don't have to live in judgment. I don't have to separate the whole world out into that which is positive and that's what's negative. I can let the whole world be and know that my job is to create beauty for myself. My job is to create harmony for me and my family. My job is to create equity in the lives of of my community. That I am here to be a creator, not a judge. All right, well, today we've covered a variety of things. We've learned that uh, everything that we know and, uh, shall we say, have been taught up until now might just be a fiction. Might have been set up thousands of years ago in ways that were to physically create safety for us, but they perhaps no longer apply. Perhaps if we take the, take the red pill, perhaps if we're willing to look at life differently, we will discover that life is extraordinarily different and extraordinarily more positive than we ever believed. We've also talked about the four key lies that we're told almost from birth, that the world is hostile, that the world happens to me as a victim, that I'm separate from God, and that my job is to judge people and things. The four great lies. And all I can say about them for now is notice them. Notice when you are affirming one of the four great lies and be willing to look at it. Be willing to take a hard look. Is this something that is true? Or is this something that I was just told and I'm willing to re-examine? All right, on to our homework. So I got to tell you one more thing. Pam Grout, the author of this, spent some time in Africa, like a, a travelogue writer. And one of the assignments she was given for doing some writing was an area where there were live rhino out in the savanna. And so the, the guide was telling her, you know, you might be alarmed because those things come at you just like a freight train. They move really fast and, of course, deadly dangerous. You know, their head is all solid with the giant horn. And and literally, if you were hit with one, no doubt serious injury or death. But having said all that, don't worry so much because they have the poorest eyesight of any mammal. 
literally, if you're more than about seven feet away from them, they don't know if you're a person. They don't know if you're a tree. Uh, I mean, honestly. And so if something sets off a charge, let's say there's a loud noise or a backfire, they're apt in whatever direction they're pointed in just to charge because that's their way to make themselves safe. And they know that anything they come in contact with is just done for. So they'll just charge out in whatever direction uh, that you're in. And as long as you can just step aside, you really don't have to worry. They're not going to notice you. They'll just keep charging. So she calls this the spiritual rhino test. And she advises us to make sure in the morning when we start off, that we're pointed in a direction that we want to go. Her belief is we're not apt to really change our course much during the day. We're not apt to notice that the world around us is changing. And so her suggestion is if we can start off pointed in the right direction, within the very first few minutes of our day, our day will go well. And so here's your test. I hope you'll love it. I've been doing it the last two days. And I got to tell you, it's made a lot of difference in my life. She says, the first thing when you get up in the morning is you tell yourself, this is going to be the most fabulous day ever. And then she recommends putting on your favorite, amazing and, and upbeat kind of music and even do a little dance. So, so she recommended, she's brushing her teeth to good vibrations. Remember that, that fun song? But just take a crazy fun song song within the first five minutes that you wake up, dance a little to it, sing along with it, and tell yourself, I am going to have the best day ever. Now, the rhino principle will tell us that if you're pointed in that direction of happiness, of enjoyment, and success, you're apt to keep going in that direction. In a way, we're going to start ourselves out in the morning with that rhino plunging ahead to have the best day ever, the happiest day ever. The experiment runs like this. Every day for a week, that's your pattern within the first five minutes of you get up. And then before you go to bed at night, just report the results. Just write down in your own journal or a a piece of paper by the side of the bed your results for the day. Was your day largely filled with happiness and joy? And that's all you have to do. That's the experiment. And we'll see at the end of the week if this particular change was beneficial to you. It's only a five minute a day investment. Her belief is that the rhino principle will make a big difference in your life. Okay, well, I want to close today with a a quote from Pam Grout's book and a prayer. She says, the fact that you are connected to everyone and everything in the universe is not just mind-blowing news. It's also something that you can be using. Each of the following chapters will present a spiritual principle and an empirical scientific experiment to demonstrate that it works in your own life. All of them are designed to prove that you are connected to the field of infinite potentiality, that you can demonstrate that quantum physics isn't just a compelling philosophy, but also a tool that you can use. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one life and one goodness, just this one thing, and we're embedded in the midst of it. And the good news is that this thing is magnificent.
It's loving. It's joyous. It's abundant. It's peaceful. It's healthy. It's, it's everything that we could want. And it's in us. It's as us. It's moving around us. It's everywhere present. And so I, I give thanks for this, uh, this most amazing principle of knowing that the universe is for us and that as we embrace that knowledge, as we put aside some of the false beliefs that we have talked about today, our ability to use this force, to feel this love, to experience this peace and equanimity, to have the love and the health and the abundance that we desire simply gets easier and easier and easier. For this I give great thanks. For this I, I recognize in the face of everyone the face of God. And in gratitude I release this prayer into the activity, into the action of the law itself. That, that law that says yes, that, that law that is always on our side. I let it be and together we say, and so it is. So now is our time of uh, conscious contribution. This would be a great time for those of you who are contributors to pull up your smartphone or go to our website at cslportland.org slash donate and make a donation. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. every Sunday. We also have many programs, classes, and workshops developed just for our online audience. To find out more, go to our website at cslportland.org and look under the Online tab. We have a variety of content dedicated specifically for our podcast listeners. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at cslportland.org donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended spiritual community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.